Welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP Community Radio. This is bringing light into darkness, news, and analysis. I'm your host, Pedro Gatos, and we are transmitting from Austin, Texas, for your listening edification. Today is Thursday, June the 30th, 2022. So this show was originally scheduled to be rebroadcasted last Monday, July 4th, Independence Day. But due to some technical difficulties, the show content was interrupted with some significant dead air. Therefore, we are rebroadcasting it in its entirety today on Monday, July the 11th, 2022. From 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. Enjoy and please join us. At koop.org, all comments are welcomed and can be sent to Pedro at pgatos00 at gmail.com. That's pgatos00 at gmail.com. Many of the shows are archived at pedrogatos.org. This is our 114th post-COVID show. A new world, but the same place. So stay tuned for a very informed and documented dialogue. Thank you for joining us, and we hope to have a recording of the show up on pedrogatos.org website for your closer scrutiny within the week. Again, thank you for joining us tonight, and thanks for inviting your friends to join us in future shows. So stay tuned. But first, in the battle of ideas, let's get ready to go to war. Welcome. This is Bringing Light into Darkness, Monday News and Analysis on the premier community radio station of the nation, 91.7 KOOP, Hornsby, Austin. Happy Independence Day. This day marks our independence from the King of England and the promise of independence from want and scarcity. This show is dedicated to that promise that we are a far distance from. Tonight, we focus on our healthcare system, which is best described by its performance during the COVID period. Enjoy. Well, welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP Hornsby Austin. This is bringing light into darkness, Monday news and analysis. This is your host, Pedro Gatos, and I will be introducing our very special guest shortly. This particular interview and dialogue we will be having is on Thursday, June the 30th, 2022, on 91.7 KOOP right here in Austin, Texas. Before we get started, though, I did want to frame our conversation. There is a staggering wealth divide in the world, and there's, of course, even a more staggering racial wealth divide. And a close examination of wealth in the United States finds evidence of staggering racial disparities. According to a December 2020 report by Brookings Institute, it was citing actually Federal Survey of Consumer Finance data of 2016 in that report in which it reflected an enormous disparity between the wealth of Black and white Americans. And according to that 2016 Survey of Consumer Finances, the median white household has a net worth of some $171,000, which is 10 times the net worth of the median Black household of $17,100. So what we're going to see, and what's important to keep in context, is that minority populations and Black households are overrepresented among the poor. And in February of 2016, researchers at the Brookings Institute analyzed life expectancies for men who are among the top 10% of earners and compared those to who are among the bottom 10% of earners. And for these men that were born in 1950, the bottom 10%, the life expectancy was some 14 years shorter 
than for those among the rich, 10%. So poverty means one to two decades of shorter lifespans. In addition to that research, Dr. Arlene Geronimus and her team rolled out a concept some years ago called the weathering hypothesis. And it held that African-American health deteriorates in early adulthood as a result of their cumulative exposure to socioeconomic disadvantage, as well as racism itself and the psychic pain that uh, occurs along with it. And then when we look at the COVID, which is going to be really the focus of our discussion today, in Chicago, the population is some 30% African-American, but 70% of the deaths from COVID-19 have been Black people. And this is data that was generated in 2020. So those numbers may have changed somewhat, but I'm sure not significantly. In Milwaukee, the population is 26% Black, but Blacks accounted for half of all infections and 81% of the deaths. And in the state of Michigan, the population is 14% Black. The infections, though, were 35% Black with 41% of the deaths. And here in Austin, Texas, we have eight times the overrepresentation in Black people experiencing homelessness with respect to the issue of poverty. So let me just share a couple more things. But wanted to just get this framed a little bit. Prior to introducing our guest, death rates from COVID-19 nationally were three times higher in predominantly Black counties compared with predominantly white counties, with as much as 70% of deaths occurring among Blacks in certain states. According to data in the Journal of, of American Medical Association in, in 2020, moreover, Blacks are more likely to be key workers. So they're more likely to come in contact with infected people than their peers in richer areas. They're less likely to be able to work from home. They're more likely to have to rely on public transportation than people in rich areas and thus come into contact with infectious people. They're more unlikely to be able to afford grocery home delivery services. They're more likely to have to be employed in jobs that have the highest social interaction rates, putting them at greater risk for becoming COVID positive and tend to live in multi-generational homes and tend to have higher population densities than in richer areas that puts you in contact with more people, thus increasing your chances of getting COVID. And then finally, with respect to this COVID-19 and race, just wanted to reiterate that Blacks are overrepresented in these quote-unquote essential jobs, the ones that put you in contact with more people, thus increasing your chances of getting COVID. Nationwide, African-Americans represent, what, a third of the hospitalized COVID-19 patients, but just 13% of the U.S. population. And the other issue I wanted to address real quick has to do with what I believe is the most important issue for the context of our discussion, and it's wealth inequality in the world. Time to Care, an Oxfam report that came out just a year and a half or two years ago in 2020, looking at underpaid and unpaid work by women in the global economy. It's called Even It Up. If you want to look it up on Oxfam, it was published in January 2020. Just three or four highlights that the richest 1% of the world have more than double the wealth of 6.9 billion people. And among that 1% are some 2,153 billionaires who in 2019 had more wealth than 4.6 
billion people. Oxfam has calculated that to amass even a fifth of that average fortune of the world's five richest billionaires, you would need to have saved $10,000 a day since the building of the pyramids in Egypt. And then Oxfam has worked out that if the world's two richest men sat on their wealth piled up in $100 bills, they'd be in outer space. And then finally, the world's richest 22 men have more money than all the women in Africa. And again, this is from the same report. Women and girls put in 12.5 billion hours of unpaid work every day, taking care of folks and other essential jobs that insulate the very poor and vulnerable, the children and the elderly from either greater starvation and death rates. So this 12.5 billion hours of unpaid work every day, and then this unpaid care work, when you translate it into a monetary value, it translates into some 10.8 trillion dollars a year. So with that context, I wanted to formally introduce our guest who's been doing some remarkable research over the years and some very been connected to some really important recent research that we want to address tonight. And that's Dr. James Kahn. Dr. Kahn, thank you for joining Bringing Light into Darkness. Thanks for inviting me on. Dr. Kahn, he's an emeritus professor of health policy at the University of California in San Francisco. He is a leading researcher in the cost and effectiveness of health intervention programs and in U.S. healthcare financing reform. And he's an editor of an important publication, and he's the primary blogger of Health Justice Monitor. With that being said, Dr. Khan, again, welcome to Bringing Light into Darkness. There was a, a new study that you were a co-author, I believe, on, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it was published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, and it found that since the beginning of the pandemic until mid-March 2022, a Medicare for All or a universal healthcare system would have saved hundreds of thousands of lives. In fact, you indicate would have saved some 338,000 lives from COVID-19. Can you explain the methodology of how you arrive at that number and a little bit about our existing healthcare system that you provide a scathing critique of within this, uh, this article and others? Sure, happy to. Uh, this work was led by colleagues at Yale University and people from various different universities. We did two things. Number one, we did an empirical study which compared COVID death rates according to the percentage of the population insured in different locations around the country. So we compared death rates in counties with high uninsurance rates and low uninsurance rates. And based on that empirical analysis, what we found is that counties with higher rates of uninsurance had more deaths, a lot more deaths. And when we then analyzed what the national death rate would be if all the counties had universal health insurance, we found that the death rate would be 26% lower. So in other words, one quarter of the deaths that we experience are attributed to not having universal insurance. Mm -hmm. Step two was to put that critical number of 26% into 
the existing estimates of the number of COVID deaths, which includes both the uh, deaths reported as due to COVID plus an adjustment for underreporting, which is a common problem in death attribution. And all of that taken together told us that in excess of 330,000 deaths could be attributed to the lack of universal insurance, nearly 339,000. And that's continuing to rise after we completed our analysis. So the number is certainly substantially higher than that. In addition, uh, we found that the added hospital care required for the people who got sick and needed to go into the hospital and possibly into the ICU added over $100 billion in excess spending. Again, because of this problem, that areas with high uninsurance also had more COVID infections and deaths. Mm -hmm. So you're suggesting that a comprehensive healthcare system, just at the preventative end of things, if people were not afraid of things like the cost of going to a hospital or the cost of just going to a doctor, their COVID may have been identified and intervened earlier. And that when you look at the cumulative cost savings of such a system, that's where that 100 plus billion part comes from. Yes, exactly. Both the added deaths and the added costs mm -hmm. arise because people who may have been exposed to COVID or think they might have been exposed to COVID or have symptoms suggested of COVID, well, if they have a financial barrier to going to see the doctor, then they may not go in. They say, oh, this will pass or um, maybe this will just be fine. So they don't go in. And therefore, the doctor doesn't have a chance to tell them, hey, you need to isolate, keep away from family, friends and coworkers for a period of time so you don't infect them or hey, you're sick right now. You're not too sick. Let's why don't you take it easy? Take care of yourself for a few days. These things that do happen and should happen for people with insurance, they don't happen for people without insurance because of financial barriers to care. And as a result, we suspected before we did the study that this would lead to greater infection rates and people with infection getting sicker and greater death rates. And in fact, that's precisely what we found. You know, it's been shown in lots of research, some of which I've done and other colleagues on the paper have done and others, that we have many added deaths every year. Every non-pandemic year, we see additional deaths between 70 and 100,000 due to lack of insurance and also underinsurance, like high deductibles. Mm -hmm. And we have estimates that we're wasting money with our inefficient system on the order of five to $600 billion a year in excess paperwork, mainly, also in high drug prices. So with real health reform, like a single payer system, similar to what all the other wealthy countries around the world have, we could reduce those deaths and save money at the same time. In my world of health economists and economists generally, there's this expression, there's no such thing as a free lunch. Everything costs something, even if it doesn't have a price tag. But I actually think that health reform is an exception to that rule. 
we could get coverage for everyone, lower sickness rates, lower death rates, and save money all with one reform. And that would, in fact, be a free lunch. Very good. Well, I want to remind our listeners, we're talking with a distinguished health researcher and doctor, Dr. Khan, Dr. Jim Khan. Dr. Khan, just to kind of elaborate a little bit more on what you just touched on. Number one, before COVID, there was trending where for the first time since early 1990s and the HIV rates, our life expectancy as a country was going down. This was a shocking finding for the wealthiest country in the world. On top of that, you have indicated compared to other advanced countries, the OECD, the the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, the the countries that make that, that group up somewhat 35, I haven't looked at it recently, but 35, 37 or so of the advanced nations of the world, so that we're comparing apples to apples. With those two things indicated that we are horrific when compared to our peers in these outcomes. And then the other issue had to do with the COVID rates uh, were what some 4% of the world population. And at one time, we were some 20% or more of the, the COVID deaths. I think now it's closer to 15 or 18%. And quite frankly, the COVID deaths has unmasked our health system for its lack of quality. But there are other barometers. In 2018, the UN Rapporteur on Human Rights came to the United States, studied the United States, and put together a scathing report. May 2018 report on U.S. human rights and extreme poverty, he described the United States accordingly. We have the highest youth poverty rate in the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, the OECD nations. We have the highest infant mortality rates among comparable OECD states. Our citizens live shorter and sicker lives compared to those living in all other rich democracies. Eradicable tropical diseases are increasingly prevalent in the United States. We have the world's highest incarceration rate. We have one of the lowest levels of voter registration and voter turnout among OECD countries and one of the highest wealth inequality rates. We have the highest obesity levels in the developed world. The United States has the highest rate of income inequality among Western countries. And again, this is the report of the Special Rapporteur on Extreme Poverty and Human Rights on his mission to the United States, Human Rights Council, 38th session, June 18th through July 6th, 2016, period studied. And this report was released on May 4th. 2018. But can you put all this in perspective and connect it to the issue of the market-driven healthcare system we have? Well, the system we have is highly dysfunctional, I would say almost insane. It's just so obviously the wrong way to do things. You are correct. There are market-driven aspects to it. And that's the theoretical basis for things like high deductibles, where you may have to pay $2,000 or $3,000 or $5,000 before your insurance kicks in. The uh, expression that health economists use is skin in the game. Let's give 
patient's skin in the game. That'll save money. Well, it turns out that it does reduce utilization a little bit for people who have high deductibles, but it doesn't save the overall system money because those small reductions in expenditures are balanced by bigger expenditures when people get sick and really use a lot of money in the hospital, in the ICU. So this whole skin in the game strategy, this market-based approach doesn't work. There are other elements of market theory that you can see, like having people choose between many different health plans, just like you might choose between many different car models. Well, people like to choose between different cars. Some people want a pickup truck. Some people want a, an electric powered sedan. And that's fine. That works well. It doesn't work in healthcare. People really don't understand the difference between different health plans. And if you ask them what kind of choice they care about it, they don't care to choose between health plans. They care to choose the doctor that they like. Yet, our policy is built on the notion that you should choose between health plans. The other critical thing to understand in our, for our healthcare system is the unbelievable confusion and disarray and little bits and pieces. There are scores of different government health programs. There are hundreds of different private insurance programs. All of this tremendous variation and little bits and piecemeal approaches is really expensive to manage. And that's why we spend at least $500 billion and probably $600 billion beyond what other countries of the same size would spend to manage all of this. So we're basically creating a system that's so complex that we have to spend about 12% of our healthcare dollars just to manage the extra paperwork. And that's money that should go into providing people with care. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to me because I believe so much of this is intentional. The more complicated you make things, the harder it is to decode them. You can get people all over the place arguing and convoluting the bottom line. But I think if you stick with the very bottom line, which is looking at, for instance, how could our life expectancy have started to uh, plateau and actually go down as the most advanced country in the world and the wealthiest country in the world, for sure. And I, I don't know how long that's going to last, though. And I guess the only deductive reasoning outcome for that is a very inefficient healthcare system. Yet, Every time we have a debate about that type of thing, there's enormous amounts of money that those that are in the privileged making money from this healthcare system pour into the discussion to really, I think, mislead the American public. Can, can you just speak before we go back to the COVID issue, because there's so much more to speak there, and I want to speak to a couple of these studies you've been involved with, but the significance of life expectancy in the United States going down. And then also you mentioned two things that there were some, I believe you said 20 plus percent of the American public is uninsured, but then you mentioned another number that's underinsured. And I guess that's the thing that is particularly interesting to me because we are losing our middle class. Wealth inequality, even under the Obama administration, increased 
very significantly. So if I am a middle-class family and I am sick and I am insured, but I have to pay my deductibles first to get at my insurance, then all of these things tend to create a very large number of people that are technically insured, but don't use their insurance appropriately or don't use their healthcare appropriately, and then end up not taking care of themselves, which again, I would suggest must affect that life expectancy number that I wanted you to comment on. Can you kind of clean that up and from a, from a health researcher perspective as to the significance of those numbers? Let me uh, try to do that. But first, I want to thank you for mentioning that complexity of our system is intentional. I like to say, and I have written, that the complexity we see in our healthcare system is a feature, not a bug. It is intended to confuse us and to distract us from the profound inefficiency and unfairness of the system. Uh, Dr. Khan, we need to take a quick break, a pause for the cause. This is 91.7 KOOP Hornsby, Austin. This is bringing light into darkness. We'll be back with our very special guest, Dr. James Khan, after this short pause. Don't touch that dial. <laughs> 